0: What does it mean to be set apart for God? That's the topic we're going to discuss in this episode. Welcome to Bible Studies for Life, the adult podcast. This podcast is hosted each week by Chris Johnson and myself, Lynn Pryor. We are in a study called Set Apart, A Life Live for God. And last week, we got an understanding of holiness and what it means to be set apart by looking at the holiness of God, because God truly is set apart above everything else. So Chris, where are we going this week with our study?
1: Thanks, Lynn. Today we're going to look at the meaning of being set apart from a New Testament perspective. Our writer will point out a a theological term, sanctification. So we want to talk a little bit about what that is. is. It is what the Christian life is all about. It's what set apart is. So we, we want to unpack that a little bit and help people understand it. It's it's a, a term and it's the focus of a lot of the writing of the New Testament, but I don't know that people talk about it a lot or understand it very well today. So I think it's a, this is a great conversation for us to have.
0: This will be a rich conversation, chiefly because of who is joining us for this conversation. Joining the podcast is Dr. Ray Wilkins. Dr. Wilkins wrote the commentary that appears in Advanced Bible Study. So, Ray,
2: thank you for taking the time to meet with us. Hey, thank you for having me. It's a privilege and an honor for me to join you and uh, talk about God's Word. Dr. Wilkins is a senior pastor at Lebanon Baptist Church in Frisco, Texas. Now, that's his
0: full-time job but he is also an adjunct professor, both at Criswell College and at the B.H. Carroll Theological Institute. Now, let's talk for a moment about Lebanon Baptist Church. Ray, you've been at that church for about 20 plus years.
2: So February was uh, 22 years to be exact. So I hit my 22 year mark. and, And interestingly, my wife and I, we just got back two days ago from Israel. And that was our 20th anniversary gift from the church. Uh, We were supposed to go last year, but COVID kind of messed that up. And so we went this year and uh, uh, God's just blessed us with a wonderful church family uh, who loves us and we love them and we love serving the Lord together. And so it's just been a great uh, joy and privilege for me uh, to be here all these years.
1: We we were talking earlier, Ray, and you were telling us about the change in your community from when you went to Frisco to what it's like now. Tell our listeners a little bit about that.
2: Well, you've gone from what was a a community of several small to fairly large farms. So you would have, you know, maybe one family had two or three hundred acres, with a, a few other families that might have two thousand acres, and for three generations that that was pretty much Frisco. Um, kind of an interesting side note the first epi- the first year of the TV show Dallas was filmed in Frisco <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, then came this incredible growth and you had professionals moving in. Uh, IT professionals, corporate headquarters were relocating to the Plano Frisco area And this began to change the dynamic of the city uh, from, you know, kind of southern, rural, uh, Bible Belt people to people that were moving in from Ohio and New York and California and all over. And then also people that were moving here from other parts of the world. And so literally within a 10 year period, you saw the city change. From a rural town to an uh, an upper income, uh, uh, upper class, uh, up, upper middle class uh, suburban city, and it just happened almost overnight. Wow! And that brought challenges for the church members who, you know, were seeing this happen around them. And and uh, this is not that podcast, but you get into then the discussions about worship and and types of worship and style and all that kind of thing, you know. It's great to
0: see that kind of growth and the opportunities that gives the church to reach people. This is the study called Set Apart by Christ. That when we come to Christ, we come to faith, we are set apart. And that's the point of our study, that in Christ, we are dead to sin, but alive to God. We're going to be in a passage of Romans chapter six. It's one of my favorite chapters in the New Testament. And we'll talk about this important topic but Ray, would you mind teeing up the ball for us before we get into Romans chapter six? Tell us what has happened in the
2: previous chapters. So, what you have, I think, in Romans is, uh, and by the way, Romans is is probably one of the most, uh, if we want to use a term, systematic theological book of the New Testament. It, it covers almost every. Topic or subject to some degree, but when we look at Romans, Paul begins with uh, a discussion of general humanity that you have man, and and man has has fallen, and he and he starts with his focus on uh, the Gentile community, which every uh, Jewish Christian and every you know Jewish person would understand as being a sinner, and therefore you know, outside the the grace of God and outside the righteousness of God. And so he begins in Romans 1, he talks about that uh, corruption of mankind, but then he he would probably have uh, uh, peeked the ears of his Jewish friends when he then moves from the Gentiles to talking about the Jews, the Jews who had the law, who had the revelation from God, uh, but that revelation from God didn't prohibit them from sinning against the lord and so he he builds so he starts in chapter 1 and chapter 2 and he builds up to that great uh, statement in Romans 3:23 for all have sinned and come short of the glory of god uh so that he is basically saying all of of humanity is is condemned and then moving into chapter four, he uh, talks about the the story of Abraham a little bit there, and and because that's where you know he knows that some of his Jewish audience is going to focus on their their connection to Abraham, but for Paul, he now understands that Abraham and the righteousness uh, of Abraham was always through uh, through faith. Abraham wasn't justified by Anything that was intrinsic to him, he was simply justified by the faith uh, of his response to the call of God upon uh, his life. And then he moves into uh, uh, chapter 5, talking about how now through Christ we have peace uh, through that same faith that Abraham exemplified, but the object of faith is now Christ. And then we get to chapter six, and I believe what happens there is Paul is anticipating a response uh, from some of his audience, which is, "Hey, if 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 we're saved by faith and faith alone, and it's by God's grace, then then that means then we can just keep on doing whatever we want to do. We can just you know keep on sinning so that God's grace will be shown all the more excellent." And then Paul begins our passage that we're looking at today, and says, "By no means is is that what that means. Uh, that to be saved means that now we are we are liberated from the condemnation, the bondage of sin, to live the life that God always intended us to to live in the first place."
1: So I've always been under the impression that that this argument of well, since grace is so good, and since uh, we need grace, we should send more to get more grace. Uh, was more than theolo- theori- theoretical. There were people who were making that argument.
2: Oh, I, I think that was their I, I, I think that to, to some degree, some of Paul's audience would have been horrified at the idea that that works was not uh, part of the the plan or the salvation of God, that that I'm not cooperating with God in some way with my salvation. And so the idea then if it's solely by God's free gift, then, then, then that means I can do anything that I want to do. And then that just magnifies the greatness of of God's grace. Uh, of course, that's a that's a misunderstanding uh, of, of, the, of the response of man to God. If if I could for a moment, I, I think we we kind of need to step back and just go back to a and look at what we would call a biblical theology. Uh, when Adam and Eve, when they sinned against God and they were separated from God, they were cast out of God's presence. What we begin to see in the rest of Scripture is is God working to rectify that that problem, and He starts by taking individuals and separating them out. Uh, And so we see that first with with Noah and his family. Uh, But then Noah falls into sin. So then what do we do? Well, then you see God separating Abraham and he separates him out. And so redemption, if we go all the way back to Genesis, we see that redemption for God uh, always begins with Separating someone out, but that person that's been separated out, Abraham, for example, the intention is to then expand that, that Abraham's family would expand, that through him all the families of the earth would be blessed, and then his descendants would be too numerous uh, to number. So then what we're having here, as you well said, Ray,
0: in Romans, is we've talked about the sin issue. And then there's the the issue of the justification that is by faith. But now we come to chapter 6 where they've raised this question about, well, can I go ahead and sin? But Paul's countering the argument that, no, it's not okay. You can't do whatever you want. He's going to counter that by talking about now that you're justified and saved, there's this process of sanctification. Paul does an excellent job of outlining what it means for us too, now that we're justified what that looks like in our daily lives. So let me pick up in Romans chapter 6, verse 5. For if we have been united with Him in the likeness of His death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of His resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him, so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin, since a person who has died is freed from sin."
2: I think that something that that we don't we don't often maybe either emphasize enough or our people don't make the connection is the connection between our 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 sin our transgressing uh, against God's design. I try as a pastor, especially when I'm talking to young people, I try to talk about God's design. You know, God designed you and He designed me to live and to function a certain way. and and sin is when we have uh, we have lived contrary, uh, transgressed God's design for us. And that then brings upon us death. So so how do we explain death? How do we explain that we humanity, of, of all God's creatures, we see something unnatural about death. We 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 talk about it. Hey, death is natural. We all die, but yet we don't approach death naturally. We we approach death as if death is this invader. And 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 why do we do that? Well, because having been created uh, good and right, and having been created in the image of God. Uh, that sin broke that spiritual bond between us and God. That that we then felt this alienation, and so there there is this connection with sin and death that we can we can call alienation if you like. That that then leaves us sort of untethered from our our creator. And we're yearning to get back to that, but the problem is, uh, as Paul I think points out a little bit in Romans one and two, we we don't we don't we don't attempt to get back to our Creator in the way in which God has prescribed for us. So we wander around kind of aimlessly in this um, in this under this dominion of death and of sin. And so what Paul is saying to his audience is, hey, look, we, we have been now united with Christ in, in, by faith. And because we've now been united by Christ, his death, which, which was a death unlike all of ours, in that he rose again, his death now becomes uh, our, our hope and becomes connected to us in a way that his resurrection will be the first fruits of our resurrection in our life.
0: Ray, as I read this passage, especially what you just said, one thing strikes me is that this is done in Christ. I am crucified. It's my death, my resurrection. It's, It's all in Christ. I'm set apart in Christ. And Christ is central to every aspect of this. So then when you come to verse 8, we've seen that, we have, that we've been set free from sin's grip, but we've also been set free with His promise of eternal life. Let me pick up reading in verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him, because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all time but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus.
1: So this is good news for us. Uh, He's referenced an old self. He's referenced the fact that we are dead to sin. The corollary there is because of Jesus' We're alive in Him. He's making the distinction between life and death, uh, and you—you you were once consumed by death. You lived in death, but now uh, you've been raised. Death no longer rules; uh, it's no longer in control. So, so don't give yourself back to living that way. Correct? Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: When I was yeah. a young adult, this passage that we're looking at right now had a tremendous impact on my life, and to this day, I can still look back on that moment. And it was one of those moments for me that as a college student, I was reading through the book of Romans. And then I came to chapter 6. And here I came to verse 11. To consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And in the process of reading that, I realized that that I have no excuse for when I sin. Because sin is not my master anymore. Now, if I sin, it's because I choose to sin. But I can choose to be in charge of all, or I can let Christ rule as Lord of my life. That was a tremendous uh, revelation for me to see that. And what Paul is used here is an accounting term in verse 11 where he says to consider yourselves dead to sin. I mean, an accounting, a tax accountant, they're going to look at the numbers they're given. They don't add to the numbers. They don't take away from them. They just have to deal with the numbers you're given. And that's what Paul's doing here with this accounting tip. He says, look, here's the facts. This is you are dead to sin. And here's another fact: you are alive to Christ, and that is transforming
2: in me. And and, and that that is the core of, of the Christian faith. That Christ is the the point. Christ is the place where and the only place where we can move from a life of death under God's condemnation for our sins, into a, 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 a life that that is eternal or, or doesn't end, a life that is renewed in us spiritually. Christ is that that point. And, and that's the entire uh, center of the gospel. If you if you take that away. Then there is no gospel. there is no no good news and, and And I often tell people who don't like to hear sermons on you know sin and judgment and condemnation, I'll say to them, "Well, you can't understand the good news if you don't first know the bad news." And the bad news is we we stand under the the condemnation and judgment of God. That's why jesus said, i've come uh, I haven't come to condemn the world. the, the world's already condemned." I've come to give you life. In other words, if I didn't come, you would stand condemned and you would have no hope. So, so now I've come, uh, kind of going back to just a moment where what I shared with you a minute ago, where my wife and I just got back from, from Israel. So we went to the Western uh, Wall, the Wailing Wall. And uh, you know I went there and I thought, you know, what, is, what, what, what should I as a Christian do here at this wall? You know, I'm looking at the, the, the Orthodox Jews and I'm looking at them uh, rocking back and forth and praying and, and praying for God's uh, Messiah to come and, and for God's mercy. And so I just stood there and my prayer was simply this. It was that, that both the Jew and the Arab, both groups that are there on that temple mount, that they would come to see the light of Christ. That they would come to see that only in Jesus Christ is their life, and that outside of Him there is hopelessness and there there is death. And I think that when we look at you know what Paul is saying and these this imagery of death, if we move back up and he talks a little bit about in verse uh, uh, four up there that sets this up, he talks about our baptism. Well, being being taken under the water, what does that symbolize? Water coming over us and covering us symbolizes death. And then coming out of that symbolizes new life. Well, then what should our response be at having come out of death into life? It should be obedience. It should be joy and a desire to do what God wants us to do. And that's where we go back to sin doesn't reign over us anymore. It doesn't reign over us anymore because we know we no longer stand judged. uh, We no longer stand condemned. And now out of a, a loving gratitude for God, I want to do what God wants me to do.
0: So let's pick up right here in verse 12. Here's that thought that we are dead to sin and we're alive to God. And now, therefore, what Paul's telling us is, this is how we are to live. He said in verse 12, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons of unrighteousness. But as as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace.
1: So there's that circular dynamic at play where he, he leads with, okay, so if we've got grace, should we send more to get more? And, and so grace abounds and he says, no, no, no. And he comes right back to that. Don't let sin reign in your bodies. Sin should not rule over you because you're under grace. So it's, it's almost like he, he goes full circle to come right back to where he started.
2: Yeah. You know, I think today, uh, what Paul says there in in verse twelve, is especially pertinent uh, with today's culture. Look at that word "passions" there. Um. So I I, I was teaching uh, last semester an intro to philosophy course, and at the end the last few weeks we were talking about ethics, dis- discussing the different. Uh, ethical forms. Uh, as Christians, we would fall under some kind, some form of what we would call divine command ethics. God commands it; we obey it. Uh, you have all these ethical theories. Well, one of the ethical theories is called emotivism, and emotivism is really uh, letting your your feelings or your passions determine what is right or wrong. Well, when I explained emotivism to a bunch of 19 and 20 year olds sitting in front of me, I started seeing their eyes and their ears sort of perk up. And I said to them, "Okay, you tell me of these different ethical theories that I've just explained, which one would you say most exemplifies your current generation? And they all just said emotivism, emotivism. If if it feels right, if it feels good, and and it's not hurting somebody else, then it must be right. And, you know, what Paul is saying here is, you know, we don't live by our passions. We don't live as a slave to our uh, desires. And, of course, that word slave, uh, particularly... I think in a Gentile audience, but particularly to a Jewish audience, Jewish Christians, that word "slave" would just be uh, abhorrent to them, uh, you know. And, and so, you know, he he's he's speaking to both Jew and Gentile, and that word "slave" obviously has a certain uh, bite to it. And he's saying, "You're not a slave to these things. You don't have to obey them anymore." You can, you can turn to, uh, to Christ because you're in Christ, and that's who we now follow. And in Christ, there is freedom. This is a profound passage. And as we look at this, it becomes obvious,
0: this is not something that once we've read this and understand it, it's fully applied to our lives. I mean, this passage shows me that this sanctification, this growing in Christ, it's a journey. It is a lifelong journey. There's areas in my life where I, there, sin is no longer an issue for me. It's a done deal. It's in the past. God, Christ has grown me in that area. But I can look at other areas of my life where I still struggle with sin. And I know I need to let this area of my life become an instrument, not for unrighteousness, but I still need to give it to Christ so that it become an instrument of righteousness. That's all part of this growth process and it's all done in and through christ as we lean on him
1: we are grateful for you guys listening to us today uh have this conversation uh as as you get with your group and as you think about some of the implications of this for your life uh i want to encourage you to allow the holy spirit to speak to your hearts to maybe reveal things to you uh that uh where you have let uh sin reign where you even though you've been set free, you're still living as slaves to sin. And let's ask God's spirit to reveal these things to us, to convict us. And uh, re- we need this reminder that we're under God's grace. We don't have to live that way anymore. Don't let sin rule over your lives. Uh, there will be people in your groups who are struggling with some issues in their life. So we've talked about some deep kind of theological converse, uh, topics today, but it gets real practical, uh, just like, Ray, you were talking about explaining uh, emotive, emotism. How did you say it?
2: Emotivism.
1: <laughs> Emotivism. I mean, I mean, when you were talking about that, I'm thinking that's today. That's our culture. That's yeah. And it's not just 18 and 19 and 20 year olds.
2: Yeah, yeah. no, it's not. Yeah, it, it is a it is a culture today that lives by feelings and unfortunately that is also creeping into the church. And I think what what happens and why this passage here in these last verses 12 through 14 is so important is you know when a Christian like like you said Lynn there there, there are sins that that I've put away and they're not a problem for me. But there are other things that you know we you know I, we still struggle with and that's different for each for each person and what can happen is when we as christians find ourselves continuing to struggle with something we can feel that that condemnation that judgment that whispering of satan in our ear that hey see you know you're not good enough you're not you're not obedient enough and 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 that can spiritually depress us to the point where we become almost ineffective in our Christian life. And so I will take people back to this and I'll say, look, you're not under uh, the dominion of sin. You're not under law. You're under grace. God has forgiven you. So confess your sins, receive God's forgiveness, and move on. Move on in your life seeking to walk Uh, within the boundaries that God has set for us.
0: Well said. Ray, thank you for being a part of our conversation
2: today on this podcast. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It's been wonderful. It's it's almost been a little too short. (laughs) (laughs) And Chris, as always, it's
0: good to be part of a conversation with you too. And we want all of you in your respective groups, whether you're leading a group or you're sitting in a group, We hope that you have a fruitful conversation as you consider what it means to be set apart in Christ. Have a great study.